Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. One of the topics that sparks so much conversation on Instagram is the topic of ghosting. And that's one that I've covered extensively and I continue to cover it from time to time in my feed. And I've also covered it on the podcast because it's a topic that is frankly infuriating and it's happening a lot. Today's topic is related to ghosting and it's one of the reasons that ghosting gets us so upset. It's because when we get ghosted, we are denied closure. And closure is a pop psych term that has been around for quite a while as this optimal way to end a relationship. The idea being, if I can understand what went wrong, then I can process my grief I can put this relationship to bed and then move forward toward new relationship possibilities unencumbered by the the baggage from the past relationship. But if I don't get closure, then I may have all these dynamics and all these questions and everything from the past relationship that never fully got sorted out psychologically and emotionally those facets will then trickle into my new relationships. Now, it makes sense, and I think it's desirable. I totally understand the reason that we want closure. And in fact, when I did a little research trying to see, there's a little bit of psych research on closure, but not a great deal. I think there's probably a lot more written about closure in pop psych self-help books than there is in legit academic research. Now, I did find an article in Psychology Today, which is generally a great resource that is very accessible to all of us, but articles are usually grounded in psych research. And the article I found was called Why We Need Closure from Broken Relationships by Mariana Bakarova, PhD. She presents a definition of closure that's consistent with how we've been framing it. She says, according to phenomenological research, Closure is knowing the reason a romantic relationship was terminated and no longer feeling emotional attachment or pain, thereby allowing for the establishment of new and healthy relationships. And she goes on to make an argument for why closure is necessary and also how to give someone closure should you be in that circumstance. She mentions that when people suggest that someone has to give themselves closure, that it's really not very helpful because how can you give yourself closure when it necessitates some answers from the other party? And I think this topic essentially falls into the category of in an ideal world, we would always have a lovely, wrapped up with a pretty bow closure for every relationship. We would understand exactly what went wrong. Our partner would fully understand what went wrong. And we'd come together, have an exit interview. We'd hug it out and we'd be on our way. 
But that is just not how life works. So I want to share some thoughts about closure that have been helpful for me over the years. Oftentimes, I was the one getting broken up with, and oftentimes, I was breaking up. And I will say that for most of my relationships, there really wasn't a clear closure that ever happened. I talk about this in my book a little bit. I was not very good, frankly, at breaking up or being broken up with. Very often, my relationships entered a phase of on again, off again for a while, or let's hang out. We miss each other so much. It's hard being single after being together for so long. We're not really sure we should be technically together anymore, so let's just kind of be this nebulous thing. I do not recommend any of those approaches <laughs> to ending a relationship. But because I had so many of those very vague and long drawn out endings to relationships, I have a lot to say about closure. Sometimes I'm able to share with you things I did right. In this case, I'm probably <laughs> better equipped to share with you some of the things I did wrong. But again, if you want to go into ghosting in depth, check out episode 30, Ghosting Cowardice or Kindness. And if you want to delve further into closure, stick with me. We're getting into it right now. So the first thing I want to tell you about closure is to give yourself a break. Of course you want closure. Like I said, of course you want to have this relationship wrapped up in a tidy little package that you can process and understand and grieve and then move forward. That is totally normal. So the desire for closure is in and of itself not a problem. In fact, it's exactly how our brains work. So in cognitive psych, we talk about how our brains long to make meaning. And they're actually very good at making meaning. They're very good at processing information. We get so much stimuli into our five senses at any given time. And our brains do a phenomenal job of grabbing the stimuli and sorting it out and making sense of it such that we can process and understand and experience our world. In cognitive psych, we talk about top-down processing. An example of this would be if you've ever read one of these paragraphs where someone's kind of messing with your mind, and they'll take certain words and they'll only give you a couple letters of the word. But because we are able to fill in the gaps, because we know from experience what words should be in that sentence at that particular spot in the sentence, we can oftentimes read and make sense of a paragraph with sometimes... 30% of the words omitted. So this is an example of how we are actively making sense of our environment. Our brains are actively primed. We are not passively just taking in information and then trying to figure it out. We are actively projecting our expectations onto our environment, such that in the example I just gave, when that word is not available for us, we go, well, here's the word that probably should be in this sentence, at this, at this placement in the sentence. So I'm going to go with that and make meaning from, frankly, nothing. We filled in the gaps. We filled in the blank. And there's a lot of different examples. If you guys have ever taken a cognitive psych class, you've probably had some fun with a lot of these where we fill in the information that is not given to us. Getting back to closure. 
So what happens is we absolutely go nuts when we cannot make sense of something. So the more dramatic the relationship breakup was, the more unexpected it was, the more that you were blindsided, the more that you're going to just desire and and grasp for closure that may or may not be available to us. So again, our brains don't like ambiguous information. We want to fill in the gaps. We want to make sense. And that's okay in and of itself, except for when it causes us so much distress and so much misery. I made this point in an Instagram post that I did a while ago called Closure is a Myth. And I shared a time that I desperately wanted closure and I was not getting it. And I want to also share in this podcast episode a time when someone wanted closure from me and I wasn't able to give it to him. And I want to tell you a little bit more about these stories, these circumstances, because I think through me telling and sharing my journey, I think it'll help you make sense of when you should try to get closure, when you might possibly be able to get closure, and when you maybe need to let go of the desire for closure. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen, that's D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me. And of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook Live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. So we'll start with Dylan. We'll start with the time that I got broken up with and I was desperate for some closure. And I'll read you the Instagram post that I did. The quote on the graphic was, closure is a myth. And in the caption, I said, I don't know who came up with the idea. It's a pop psych term that's been around for a while. The idea is once we get closure, we can move on. But emotions don't work like that. And people don't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. But because we've been told we need closure, many of us keep waiting for it. Or worse, we ask for it like I did. When Dylan broke up with me, initially there was radio silence, which, as you know, is hideously painful. We dated for two years. To go from talking every day to nothing, it was brutal. And I had questions. This had come out of the blue. We were in love. We had plans. I needed answers, or so I thought. So I called him. And posed questions he didn't have answers to. And asked for reasons he couldn't articulate. So much for closure. Here's what I didn't realize. Dylan couldn't have given me closure, even if he'd wanted to. He didn't fully understand why he'd broken up with me. And there I was, demanding an explanation. Because the notion of getting closure necessitates that the person has it to give to you. And most people just don't. Dylan didn't mean to hurt me. He felt the need to leave our relationship, so he did. I hadn't done anything wrong. 
I was a really good girlfriend. He knew that. And he loved me. But part of him couldn't be with me. And that part took over. And he took off. He didn't fully understand why. And of course, since he couldn't give me a rationale, I analyzed our demise and came up with my own interpretation of what was going on in his psyche. But that was a waste of my time too. What did that matter? He left me, and that's absolutely all I needed to know. No closure would change it or take away the pain. Did I think somehow it would have hurt less if he'd been able to explain his decision? Closure is a myth. Don't wait for it. And please don't ask for it. So that was one that a lot of people resonated with. And again, because it ties into ghosting, which is happening so often, especially with dating apps and online, people are feeling that, that need for an explanation, that need for a rationale, a need for, can you help me understand what went wrong? Did I do something? Was it me? And and again, that makes sense because what we're trying to do, again, our, our brains are trying to solve this problem. Dr. Stephen C. Hayes who is the creator of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, who some of you have heard on my podcast in episode 65, Liberate Your Mind to Address Depression and Anxiety. Dr. Hayes talks about the problem-solving mind, and it's always working. It's the part of you that keeps you up at night when you're trying to sort through a question or a problem or a concern. Our brains are always working to help us Solve the problem. So if we're hurt, how can we protect ourselves from being hurt again? But as you can see from my experience with Dylan, sometimes even if someone wants to give us an explanation or wants to give us a rationale, he or she may not have it available to give. I really believe that despite the frustrations of the dating scene, and I hear it every day from you who are following me on Instagram and we go back and forth and I do my best to encourage you because I know what a jungle it is out there and I went through it all. I didn't get married until 42. So you guys know I've been there, felt that. And despite how demoralizing it can be and how it seems that there's so many haters out there, I firmly believe that most people are not out to take us down, to break our hearts, to lead us on and then destroy our dreams and our hopes. I don't believe that most people are predators. I don't. Now, there are predators. Of course there are. But I don't believe in the dating scene that most people actively go around like, who can I hurt today? Who can I get on an app and hurt? Now, some of you might say that's not true because I'm on Tinder and there are a lot of wolves out there and they're just out to get the little lammies and that absolutely happens. But in general, I think most of us You know, they have an expression, hurt people, hurt people. I think most people get hurt in a relationship because someone else is just not psychologically or emotionally healthy. And with Dylan, that's what happened. And he wasn't the only one. I was in relationships with other guys who were not psychologically and emotionally where they needed to be for us to go the distance. Now, why I stayed with them for so long in the first place? Well, that's another episode But we have to understand that though we desperately want an answer, we want that closure, 
our ex may not have those answers to give us. So we ask, and there's tears, and there's confusion on both sides, and this desire for closure really got us nowhere. And that's what happened to me with Dylan. I did what many of us do. I overanalyzed, and I cogitated, and I ruminated, and I tried to come to the conclusion to figure out what happened, because he couldn't give it to me. So I'd figure it out. And I had to provide myself my own closure. Were I to do it again, I would try to spend a whole lot less time on the cogitating and the ruminating and the analyzing. Why? Because it didn't get me anywhere. All it did was keep me stuck. It kept me from moving on. And it didn't provide any consolation. It didn't provide me with any good feelings to think that I had figured out why he left. And also, by the way, my analysis may or may not have been accurate. So I spent all this time trying to figure out why he left. And even if I was right, it didn't bring him back anyway. I mean, I talk about that in my book that we can analyze all day long and it doesn't matter anyway. First of all, I may or may not have been correct in my conclusion. But second of all, even if I was correct, he wasn't coming back. It's not like, oh, if I figure it out, then I can also figure out the way to get him back. And maybe that's what's going on in our minds when we insist on obsessing and ruminating. And I just wish I had not wasted so much time. Now, there's one more possibility, of course, as to what was going on. It could have been that it had nothing to do with anything except for the fact that Dylan didn't love me anymore. And he seemed to love me when we were together, when we were in this nebulous kind of dating, but not really dating. We're not going to call it anything, but we'll still act like we're dating. He seemed to be the same and to have the same feelings for me, but really he couldn't have, right? Because if he had, he wouldn't have left me. And maybe he was just too kind to say those things. And that's the other piece about demanding closure. And I make this argument when I talk about ghosting as well. Because think about it. Do we really want to hear exactly why the person who left us doesn't think we're a fit? Like, do I really need to hear that explanation? Because frankly, we know that they have come up with a rationale as to why they need to take off. And they may be projecting onto me some things that aren't even true about me because they have to justify their decision. Or there may be things that are very true about me, that I was too this or that or the other, which with the right person wouldn't be a problem at all and might be absolutely part of why they fell in love with me. But for this particular person in this particular instance, that quality or trait that is core to who I am isn't working for them. So do I really want to hear that? I mean, we need to think about that when we're looking to have closure and anticipating what that closure might do for us, it may not feel too good if someone decides to rattle off exactly why they don't find that you and he, she are a match. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. 
Single is the new black, don't wear white till it's right, is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N dot me. Which brings me to a second example of closure from my dating history. And this goes into when I called off my wedding. Obviously, when you date for three years and you're engaged for a year, and then two months before the wedding date, your fiance takes off, you have some questions. And it made perfect sense that Dave was looking for closure. No question. And the way things went down, as these things often happen, I couldn't just firmly cut it off. So what happened was when he was actually out of town for his bachelor party, I know, great, and I was picking him up from the airport. And when he was gone that weekend, a couple things had happened that really made it clear to me that these emotions that I'd been trying to frankly dissociate from or try to change my own emotional state, it's going to be fine, Karen, it'll be fine, you'll work it out, even though it doesn't feel like crazy butterflies and true love, it's going to be fine. Finally, I stopped (laughs) lying to myself and finally listened to my gut, which is telling me it's not going to be okay, this isn't the right connection. And so I realized that I was going to have to pick up my fiance from the airport as he's all excited to tell me about his bachelor party in Vancouver. And I was going to have to tell him that, as a matter of fact, we were not going to get married in two months. Because initially, I wasn't confident in my decision enough to call it off entirely. I just said, we need to postpone. So as you can imagine, I felt like I wanted to throw up as I'm driving to the airport and I pull through to arrivals and he's there with his bags and a big smile and a, hey, sweetie, how are you? And I missed you. And I'm looking white as a sheet and sick, 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 and just clearly upset. And he's like, oh, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? Of course, thinking that there were 7 million other things that were wrong, perhaps, but not thinking that the thing that was wrong was us. And then we had a 20-minute drive from the airport back to his condo, and I'm telling him, I just don't think I can do it in two months. I'm not ready. Telling him that it's just me, that I'm freaking out. I can't handle losing my independence. I'm fearful of marriage and commitment and all these things that I told myself. And I was telling him because I still wasn't letting myself admit or believe. And I certainly didn't want to say to him, I'm just not in love with you the way I need to be in order to marry you. That information wasn't 100% even available to me. And even if it had been, there's no way I would have said that to him. Now, some of you might say, yeah, you got to be cruel to be kind. And I, I agree. It would probably have been, in the end, the kinder, more loving thing to do to just tell him, I'm not in love with you enough to marry you. 
But I had spent four years stuffing that reality, pushing it aside, trying not to acknowledge it, trying not to admit it. So I don't even think it was fully present for me at that point. I was lying to myself, telling myself I was scared of commitment, telling myself I was scared of losing my independence. I wasn't. But I'd been lying to myself, so those lies came out to him. Again, I did not intentionally lie to him. I just gave him the explanation that seemed to be the truth in that moment. So then we get to his condo, and I tell him, you know, I'm going to go home. I need two weeks. Please don't contact me for two weeks. I just need time, and I need space to figure out what's going on in my head and sort things out. And he was upset, of course. He was completely devastated. And he, no, I, I need to take care of you right now because you're hurting and you're freaking out. And that's my job is to comfort you. And I was that energy I did not want. I just wanted space, space, space. So he gave it to me. I drove back to my place and for the next couple of days, he gave me some space. And then I, I don't blame him. He couldn't, he couldn't stay away. I mean, we were engaged. So to go from being engaged to get married in two months to we're not talking for two weeks, it's bizarre. And so, of course, he couldn't do that. So he reached out and it was always, I'm thinking about you and I love you and we're going to get through this. I'm going to love you through this, he said. And then I would doubt myself, what am I doing? He loves me so much that even when I pitch this fit of craziness that I don't even fully comprehend myself, he still wants to love me through this. And then I would doubt, will anyone else ever love me like that? So it was messy. It was messy. But what I can tell you, in that two weeks where he sporadically reached out to me via text and phone calls and messages, but I didn't reach back out to him, I can tell you that despite all the confusion, I did feel as if I could finally breathe after many years of stuffing, stuffing, and basically stifling my feelings and my thoughts and trying to, just trying so desperately to make them fit this life that I wanted with him. Because like I said, he was a great guy. Just wasn't my guy. So I felt in that two weeks, this peace. It was odd because I was also devastated and crying every morning. I'd wake up and cry and I was living in the townhome he'd purchased for us and he was still in his place. And then when we got married, he was going to move into this beautiful townhome he'd purchased for us. And I was living there. I'd wake up in what was supposed to be my new life with my husband. And and I was going to have a nursery for our baby in this room. And it was just bizarre, (laughs) just so complicated. But I did feel peace in the midst of all the other very painful emotions, I still felt in my gut that it was right, that the distance had given me the clarity I needed. So we agreed to meet at Starbucks once the two weeks was done. And he came in, and of course, he's looking sick to his stomach now, and but also a little hopeful. And now I knew it was done, 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 done. So we had that conversation, and then he got very, very angry and called me all sorts of names, which, again, I can't blame him. (laughs) I can't blame him. And, of course, he asked me for those questions, those closure questions. And I had more clarity now. 
I could identify that I did not love him enough to marry him. But I didn't tell him that. And at least not with the certainty that provided him with closure. And I obviously was not trying to withhold closure from him. And I wasn't trying to keep hope alive in his heart because I knew at that point that I was done. But I couldn't... It seemed too cruel in that moment to say, I don't love you enough to marry you. I don't think I was ever in love with you to the degree that I needed to be to stay in this relationship and to accept a proposal. And I should have said that probably because that would have been the closure he needed, but that just seemed just way too cruel. And so I didn't. I'm not proud of it. I share all this to provide an in-depth example of why closure is a big ask. It just is. Because in this case, I was the one who wasn't psychologically and emotionally capable of saying the truth. I already felt like the bad guy. I already felt horrible. I already also felt devastated. This had also been my dream. And here I was breaking my fiance's heart. He didn't deserve that. I felt like a horrible person. And I didn't want to feel more horrible by saying things at that Starbucks. And because I've been on both sides of it, I see that really, in most cases, there aren't any bad guys. There are just people doing the best they can and then realizing they're no longer a match and trying to exit with the least amount of shrapnel possible. And for some, it means exiting without a closure conversation. Or if they have a closure conversation, it may be one that is less than satisfying. If you drink black coffee or hot tea, I know you've burned your tongue hundreds of times, or you've had to wait 20 minutes for your coffee to cool down, which by that time, your donut or muffin is long gone, and you've missed the joy of pairing that sweet breakfast item with your bitter black coffee. If it sounds like I'm speaking from personal experience, I am. But I've got good news for us. Drink Perfection takes beverages from scalding hot to the perfect temperature, where you can actually appreciate the flavor notes, by the way, in just 20 seconds without watering them down. Learn more at drinkperfection.com. And be sure to check out The Perfector's other application, taking red wine from room temp to wine cellar temperature again in just 20 seconds. Find out more at drinkperfection.com. And I want to leave you with one more perspective on closure that I just saw today on the gram, and it's from an account called Badass Broad. She posted a quote that goes like this, expecting closure from another person is asking for their permission to move on. That's not how healing works. And the quote is from Alpha, A-L-F-A. And I want to elaborate just a bit on my take on this quote, because I talk about this a lot when it comes to dating and relationships and even in marriage. When we have expectations, when we put our happiness in the hands of someone else, we 
lose our power. And I talk about power a lot, but I don't really think I'm especially power hungry or a control freak, but I recognize that power is a huge aspect of every relationship from friendships to family relationships to romantic relationships and like I said, in marriage as well. And so this idea of giving away our power by asking for closure. I thought it was an interesting take on it. Alpha is basically saying here that in expecting closure, asking for it, wanting it so desperately, we are giving away our power. And we've already been hurt, right? I mean, if you're the one asking for closure, you're usually the one who got kicked to the curb. So you're already devastated. You already feel rejected. And now you're giving away more power by asking for closure and asking for their permission to move on, as he puts it. And as I've shared, I think ultimately, when we ask for closure, we're asking for something that is essentially unavailable. It's unavailable to us, and it may often be unavailable to our ex. So here's the jagged little pill, to quote Alanis now. (laughs) sometimes we don't get the closure. Sometimes we don't get that explanation. A friend put it this way to me one time when I was obsessing about another guy from college. (laughs) She said, Karen, sometimes we just don't get that hook to hang our hat on. Meaning we just don't get that, okay, I get it now. That's why it didn't work out. (sighs) I can move on. And I had several like that, that really I never got that hook to hang my hat on. I never got that closure. And because I was me and in my head all the time, I wasted a lot of time ruminating and obsessing and analyzing to no avail. Now, the silver lining to all that is that when you do meet your person, you will have that hook. (laughs) You will then have probably a lot of hooks to hang a lot of hats on. All those unanswered questions or those, why didn't that work out? We were really darn close and dang it, we just couldn't make it go the distance. Those all get answered in one person. And you go, oh, but for someone like me who started dating at 15 and didn't get married until I was 42, that was a lot of years of not having that satisfying closure, not having those hooks to hang my hat on in many relationships. So to put some closure to this episode and some closure to the topic of closure, I highly recommend you learn to do the very hard thing of recognizing and trying to be okay with the fact that we will not get all our answers wrapped up in tidy little packages. That's not how life works. And we have to be okay with that because the alternative, the other choice is to beat our heads against a wall. Why, 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 why? Shake your fist at the sky. Why, 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 why? And that's a choice to live in angst and to live in pain that I don't recommend. I recommend learning to sit with the tension of Yes, I would love to have an explanation. Yes, I would love to have clarity and understanding in this relationship, but I don't. 
And I've got to let go of the need to have that. Maybe that looks like I have faith in God. And so I don't need to have that explanation because I trust God's got something better for me, even though I can't see it. Maybe that's the way. For me, it's certainly helped over the years to know that despite the heartache after heartache after heartache and the not having the why and not having the closure, I believed God had my best interest. And I shared last year in an Insta post how when Dylan broke up with me and I remember one night lying on my sofa on my back in my apartment in Chicago and the tears were just pouring out of me and I was ugly crying, just ugly crying. And I reached up to the ceiling and I didn't even know really why I was except to kind of reach out to God. And this saying just came to my mind and I just said it over and over and over again. It's the closest thing I've ever had to a mantra. And the words were, my God loves me and wants what's best for me. My God loves me and wants what's best for me. My God loves me and wants what's best for me. I have no idea why it was my God, why I said it that way, but it just came to me and I never forgot it. And I would say it to myself to remind myself of what I know to be true. And again, big, huge silver lining. When I met Dan, it was so clear that my God loved me and wanted what was absolutely best for me in my marriage. Dan blew everybody else out of the water. So finally, I had those hooks to hang my hats on. When you believe that God loves you and wants what's best for you, it helps you find peace in that very frustrating place of not having answers and not having closure. Because whether it's dating, relationships, family, career, there are going to be areas of our lives that are never going to fully make sense. So really this closure stuff is something we all face to some degree at some point. And if we can let go, let it go. <laughs> Hard to say that without thinking about Adina Menzel and Frozen 2 coming out. But if we can let it go, let go of the need to have full understanding in certain scenarios. Let it go. Have faith. Find your peace even in the midst of pain. And take back your power because we can't control a whole lot in this life, but we can control our thoughts. And sometimes that means a simple exchange. Simple, not easy. When you catch yourself thinking, why? I don't get it. Why? Just replace that thought with a, yep, I don't get it. I don't, but I don't need to get it. I can just move on. I don't need to have that closure. It's a decision you make. It's a choice you make cognitively and you can do it. The love and life hack for this week is, do I really need closure? And if I feel I do, maybe the task at hand is not to go seek out closure, but to work on my own need for having it in the first place. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. 
Thanks for joining me today, and a special thank you to all of you who subscribe to Love and Life, and also those of you who've signed up for my newsletter and become part of the Love and Life fam. I really appreciate it. I'm rolling out all kinds of bonus for my besties content, so you don't want to miss it. Head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com or D-R-K-A-R-I-N dot me. Both will take you to my website where you can sign up and become part of the Love and Life fam. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.